Well, Christmas is certainly a holiday that's full of traditions. More than any other holiday, I would venture a guess. I made a list recently of all the traditions that we have in our family, and it filled an entire page. They were endless. And as I looked at the list, it was a mixed bag of secular and commercial and family and biblical traditions. All of them I'm fond of. All of them I think I can tie back to the Savior at some point. But not all of our traditions are, around Christmas are good or biblical, so forgive me. Uh, I still like white Christmas. <laughs> but aside from all of our traditions, at the core, Christmas is about the birth of Christ and what that event has meant for the world. Our scripture readings and songs this evening have sought to point us to that, and we celebrate that joy to the world, right? Christmas is a time of joy and celebration, and we celebrate the promised Messiah has come. This promised one who would crush the serpent has come. This promised one who through, through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed has come. This promised one who would bring light to this dark world has come. The promised one, the forever Davidic king, who will reign and rule with justice and righteousness, with wisdom and understanding and counsel and power and might, has come. This promised one, this promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, has come. Indeed, as Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all the promises of God find their yes in him. So it's good to remember and celebrate these things. But I also want us to think about and consider and remember the great mystery in the coming of Christ. Why do we look at this baby with such awe and wonder? We are not merely celebrating the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. The wonder and mystery of Christmas is that the Son of God took on human flesh, took on a human nature. We have read tonight portions of the account of Christ's birth, and he was no ordinary baby, as we've read. These passages speak to this baby's humanity and to his deity. We read that Mary, although a virgin, would conceive and bear a son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that the son would be named Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. And the angel Gabriel goes on to tell Mary that the child to be born, he's human, will be called Holy, the Son of God, indicating his deity. Matthew tells us in his account of the birth of Christ that all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Even as we've heard tonight from Isaiah 9, 6, for us, for to us a child is born, which speaks of Christ's humanity. To us a son is given, speaking to his deity. And perhaps the shortest, shortest birth narrative we have in the gospel comes from John, which is summarized in half of one verse where he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. From these passages, we see Jesus' birth is more than just the birth of an ordinary baby. It's the birth of the Son of God who took on a human nature. And to help us understand and consider what this means, I want us to look at a passage from the Apostle Paul where he writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. I want to take a look at these verses where he says, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I want us to look at this verse, and Paul uses some interesting language to describe Jesus and his deity. And I don't want us to be confused. Paul is not saying here, when he says Jesus was in the form of God, he's not saying that Jesus was kind of like God. He appeared like him and chose not to to grasp at making himself equal with God, like, like Jacob grasping at Esau's heel as they were born, trying to take that which he did not possess. No, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Quite the opposite. When Paul says that he was in the form of God, that word form means the true and exact nature of something, possessing all the characteristics and qualities of something. Jesus was God. And he goes on to say, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He had equality. He already possessed it. It wasn't something that he had to reach for or attain or grasp in that way. No, it was something that he already had. And what it says here is that it was not to be held tightly by him because he already possessed it. And in his humility, he gave it up. The verse says he emptied himself or made himself nothing. And though he emptied himself, we're not talking about a subtraction. We're talking more about an addition here. That's what Paul has in mind. He emptied himself, not of his deity, but by adding a human nature to himself. What is in view here is that Jesus gave up the status and privilege he had as God. He humbled himself. All the privileges that were rightly his as king of the universe, he set aside to be born human. He humbled himself, his glory veiled. And not only was he born, but born into the lowliest of circumstances. A poor family under suspicion in a manger where the animals were kept. Not exactly a grand entrance 
for the king of the universe, at least not how we would expect. And all this begs the question, why? Why would Jesus give up his power and glory and honor and rank and privilege and set those aside to become a man? Why would he come to earth in this way? And I think to help us understand these questions, I want us to look at a passage that is very familiar to all of us. And that is John 3.16. I dare say most of you could recite it for me, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I'm getting a little choked up because that's good news. <laughs> that is really good news that God so loved the world. But in, in this verse, there's some really bad news, and it's kind of indirectly bad. But if we picked up on it, we see that apart from Christ, all of us will perish. Humans face the just and righteous punishment for sin, eternal punishment. Not that we physically die. That's not what is in view here. No, it's much worse than that. It's eternal punishment in hell. And as sinners, we are held account for every sin. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, eternal death. But in this verse, we see the good news that God's love for this world led him to action. He gave us his only son so that we would not perish. And in what way did he give his son, we might ask? Well, certainly I think his birth is in view, that he gave his son, like we, we uh, read tonight. God gave us his son. But it's more than that. That's not the whole story. There was a plan. And Jesus tells us what that plan was. In a very short verse in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. His life for ours. You see, there is only one way for sinners to be reconciled to a holy God, one path to eternal life through the person and work of the God-man, Jesus. Whoever believes in him will not perish. And not that we just believe he exists out there somewhere, no, but that we put our trust and our hope in him, all that he is and all that he has done. And this is where we begin to see why Jesus came in the flesh. What has he done as a man? Why did he come in the flesh? And I want to tell you that Jesus laid aside all his rights and privileges as God and humbled himself and came to us in the flesh to be our substitute in life and in death. Jesus came to represent us as a man in perfect obedience to God. He lived a life in perfect submission with God, to God. Romans 5 says, By Adam's act of disobedience, we were made sinners. 
And Romans 5 also says, by, by Jesus' life of obedience, as his perfect obedience, as a man, we are made righteous. Jesus became a man to live a life of obedience to God that we should have lived. And he had to be without sin. For to be our substitute in death, he had to be that perfect sacrifice. He came to be our substitute, bearing the punishment for sin that we deserve. Hebrews 2.17 says, He, Jesus, had to, be make like, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus became the sacrifice, the sin-bearer, for us, and he had to. If Jesus had not been a man, he could not have died in our place and paid the penalty due us. Jesus became a man to receive the punishment that we deserve. That Jesus said, set aside his glory and humbled himself to do this for us should astound us. I don't know how else to explain it, but that our minds should be blown. (laughs) Pardon the vernacular. It should humble us that God would, what king, like, like these ladies sang for us, what king would lay down his throne to give his life for me? We should be in awe of this. This is why Jesus came and became a man, to live the life that we should have lived in obedience to God. To die as a criminal for criminals like you and me on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. It also says in 1 Peter, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He came to pay our debt on the cross, which saves us from hell. He came to live a life of righteousness to God so that we would be fit for heaven because he's clothed us in that righteousness. If you know Jesus as your Savior, remember these truths. They're glorious, right? The gospel is the song that never gets old for the Christian If you don't know Jesus yet, repent and believe in him. He is your only hope. Well, in the midst of all the Christmas traditions you may have, let the true meaning of Christmas be the source of awe and wonder and joy for you. That God has come to us in the flesh, in the most humble of circumstances, to rescue us at great cost to himself. Let us also be humbled when we consider the great length God has gone to save sinners like us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we stand in awe of your glory that you would send your perfect and holy Son to take on flesh and to live 
on this earth in humility and shame as he was despised by men, rejected by his own, to live a life that headed towards the cross. But you did not leave him dead, that you raised him up for our justification, that we can find hope and peace from you because he has brought us to you through his work on the cross and his life on this earth. Lord, help us remember these things and take them to heart this Christmas season, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.